0: all right hey hey y'all so here we go into where we continue on Ahmed's differences that matter here with chapter four so this one is called uh, subjects and it's, it's interesting because there are there are many things to say about what a subject is how subjects came into fruition uh, and what it means to be a subject, if we can say um, any such thing. So she begins the chapter by stating that if postmodernism is, as Leotard argues, a crisis of legitimation, then that crisis has been most consistently expressed as a crisis of the founding subject of modernity. So we see in this moment, at least when we think about postmodernism, uh, there is something of a of the subject. Or, thinking about Balth. Uh, the death of the author so what does it mean for there to be some kind of originary type creator you know at the at the level of the human uh, and what does that mean in relation to postmodernism where there has been a call for the dissipation of this thing called subjectivity to some to some extent so this sort of death comes into perhaps death isn't the, the right way to put it and Ahmed is clear about that uh, where she states that uh, sorry. If postmodernism signals a shift from a model of the subject as disembodied, unified, and rational, and towards a model of the subject as textual, contradictory, and in process, then surely postmodernism and feminism have more than something in common. Doesn't feminism's critique of the modern rational subject as predicated on masculinity mean that feminism is part of this general postmodern onslaught, to which he will surely problematize this uh, this sort of association between postmodernism and feminism. So, in order to get to this, uh, Ahmed sort of detours through uh, Lacan. So, Lacan's psychoanalysis, thinking about the relationship that that has had, or the impact that that has had in constructing a postmodern post subject, if you will, or postmodern, yeah, post subject, and in what way does Lacan's psychoanalysis contribute to this so we think of Lacan's psychoanalysis we might think of one of his lectures where he he deals with the problem or deals with um, the unconscious as being a linguistic structure being very much part of the textual in that way so we see some affinity right off the bat between how Ahmed has constructed postmodernism and Lacan's theory of psychoanalysis or the unconscious But in Ahmed's terms, she states that in Lacanian psychoanalysis, subjectivity is understood in terms of a primary act of identification. In the mirror stage is formative of the function of the eye, the child sees itself in the mirror and misrecognizes the image as itself. So this recognition, or in a sense misrecognition, stands opposed to um, thinking about the cogito Thinking about Descartes or anything like that, and for Ahmed, the unity and ideality of the eye is a misrecognition which, while structuring the relation of the eye to others, in the forms of the projection of the ego onto others, conceals the lack that inflects its own coming into being, returning to disrupt the self, presence of the image in the discordance and alienation of the fractured body. So this isn't a body that, uh, from which. This construction of the I or the self emanates rather there is um, a reliance in part on a sort of on this misrecognition or of the this mirror stage or the the existence of a certain mirror and how that sort of contradictory nature of the self or of the coming into being uh, disturbs the you know the facile location of a self as correlated to as being correlative with the transcendental body or mind or spirit or whatever so already we can start to see how she how Ahmed is going to position this in relation to her earlier in this book critiques of postmodernism so for those that may have not have um, read up till now or, or listened to the other episodes I did on this uh, she takes Derrida to task to some extent on the same claiming the same thing about the law where Derrida says that the law is something that is contradictory, something that demands um, sort of, I guess, pluralism to be present, or the recognition of an inside and outside that butt up against one another and create tension. So for Ahmed, that that is, to some extent, all well and good, because it opens up certain possibilities, but it is one that ignores certain textual or contextual um, uh, locations within, or contextual Situations that affect certain people. So this all comes down to Ahmed's recognition in Lacan that the unconscious is uh, a linguistic device. So if we, had, in in her words here, the subject is then instituted in and by a signifier, and insofar as there's something to be said about um the psyche's relationship to a certain linguistic model or only or always already being embedded within that we may understand the whole system of society itself uh being affected by the same thing so ahmed then takes the takes the time to think about the relationship between psychology and and sociology two things that have kind of historically stood opposed to one another hence the um, there being two different departments like all in every uh, university but in many ways, these things, for, for Ahmed, really come together at this point when we think about this in terms, think about the psyche or people or subjects in terms of textuality. So when in her term, she says, it is this opening out of psychoanalysis to an understanding of the social, which has the function of a trace, which resists the mapping of the psyche as such, which may enable psychoanalysis to avoid fetishizing the signifier, the subject, through a discourse on its lack. Now, if we think of the giant enterprise, and I'll take a moment here to think about this in, in kind of in Marcusean terms, uh, there is something present, at least if we take a step away from the psychological domain or the psyche and think about the, the social or how the psyche has been imbued upon the social. How Marcuse looks at it, to really digress here, is that people are under the you know um, under the gaze of advanced capital forced into a sort of subversion or subservience to people that hold a certain fatherly or patriarchal type position they can then exert a sort of authority onto that now this is something that Ahmed really wants to think about in terms of who that is reserved for who such authority That is reserved for. And it is no coincidence when thinking about Lacan, Ahmed points to the way that he has something of a fascination with the phallus as being that point around which logos would develop or these sorts of, I guess, oppressive uh, instances or manifestations would develop. So she really wants to point to the way there is a truth discourse in Lacan, which is the truth of the phallus and, and the law of castration, which can be read more strongly as symptomatic of the shift from a theory of the signifier to a theory of the signified, in which the content or signified of the phallic signifier is already assured whether or not the signified is in itself the lack of a signified. So there is a sort of biologism or sort of essentialism present, at least for Ahmed in Lacan, in his location continually or reverting back to this idea of the phallus. The phallus, however, is ultimately more complicated than that. So Ahmed invokes uh, Butler here. So in quoting Butler, or paraphrasing Butler, uh, Ahmed states that if the relation of phallus to penis is of symbol to symbolized, then the phallus is not the penis, given that symbolization presumes the ontological difference of that which symbolizes and that which is symbolized. And she continues. indeed. The phallus must negate the penis in order to symbolize. The relation relies therefore on a determinate negation. The disconnection of the phallus and penis, despite their necessary dependence, implies that the phallus is necessarily transferable and can transfer itself from the Lacanian economy which masters its movement by sustaining the dichotomy of being slash having the phallus according to the scene of castration. So even though both the phallus and the penis having some connection to one another, although both remain in the realm of signification, one that can certainly be applauded by thinkers that would align with postmodern thought as being an, an opening of, of these possibilities where the phallus doesn't necessarily need to have a connection to this thing called the penis and can then be almost democratically extended to other spheres, to other places, and how that, you know, there is that connection to a certain power and how that can be distributed, kind of disseminated to other people. Uh, Ahmed wants us to consider, she demands that we consider, uh, how or whereby bodies themselves become sexed and become identified as having organs. So she states that such an approach would historicize the role of the phallus as the privileged mark of sexual difference, as being specific to a formation of power, and would emphasize the irreducibility of the penis as signifier of the body to the phallus as signifier of a metaphysics of presence as well as their contingent relatedness. Now what all this relies on for Ahmed is the maintenance of, be it textual or not, something of a sexual difference that has had real ramifications with regards to the subjugation of women throughout history, but anything like that. So we cannot simply disavow or we cannot ignore the effect that, or the transposition of said oppression into the realm of the textual as being we can't simply celebrate it, that is, as being, uh, opening up a certain possibility. Rather, we have to be very cautious when we do open up these these uh, textual domains, because its dissemination or its ability to be disseminated or distributed may mark something of a, I guess, uh, a hyperreal realization or a hyperrealization of these forms of oppression that can there, then thereby be Uh, distributed globally to some extent and can then open up some perhaps even more devastating or more oppressive schemas so it's from this point that um, Ahmed thinks that well she moves past Lacan stating that you know there are possibilities here there are things that we can take out of Lacan but that at the same time like I just mentioned we have to be a little bit cautious so from Lacan she moves to Baudrillard. So when dealing with Baudrillard, she deals specifically with uh, seduction. So for those that may not be so familiar, uh, seduction is one of Baudrillard's books, probably one of the most um, that developed the most animosity towards him. He, he makes some clumsy mistakes in it, notably he spends most of the book stating that the distinction between the masculine and the feminine has nothing to do with air quotes biological men or women but then continually flip-flops back and forth between the two which is really his biggest mistake and then is able to well he then says some very uh, problematic things about both men uh mostly mostly women so what he does then or what his project is despite that is to really try to grasp the possibility of gender of sex as being within the realm of artifice or with being in the realm of signification so how do we then navigate that well for him seduction is um, something that is always already there it is what guides the movement of anything by pushing it along a certain path or diverting something away from its path into something new. So for him, uh, the masculine seduces the feminine, the feminine seduces the masculine, heat seduces cold, cold seduces heat, presence seduces absence, absence seduces presence, and these things are always in flux. They're always being negotiated. Now where he falls short is that in his attempt to craft uh, a theory that would be Heavily opposed to something called like essentialism. He does very much essentialize what woman's position is in that, what men's position in that, what the feminine or what the masculine is in relation to that. And of course, it's incredibly transphobic and, and everything like that. So, that's to give it a little bit of context uh, for how Ahmed here approaches it. So Ahmed quotes Baudrillard when he writes that we are are in a state of sexual indetermination where there is no more want, no more prohibitions, and no more limits. It is the loss of every referential principle. So that's really how he speaks to the postmodern condition, being loss of the real, simulation, stuff like that. But what he's speaking about here is something he develops kind of... after seduction in another text called The Transparency of Evil or in Fatal Strategies, he has a whole bunch of texts that deal with this kind of thing where he is concerned about liberation broadly. He is concerned about the way in which liberation has some kind of fundamental connection to real, supposedly real bodily impulses that for him would just mark an end to illusion, an end to mystery in favor of like an ultimate rationality under the auspices or under the guise of a benevolent progressive agenda so then as ahmed says in affirmation of what i was saying about seduction uh, for her seduction is more specifically a metaphor for that which resists nature and essentialism for artifice appearance and the dispersal of truth and ideology so seduction stands opposed to uh, the determining manifestations of history, of identity, that are indicative of broad strands of critical theory. So for him, he says that with Marxism, class is the determining factor, with psychoanalysis, the unconscious or the psyche is the determining factor, with with feminism, sex or gender is the determining factor, where for him, he says, all we can really count on is the possibility of things changing or things being Brought up to the realm of signification, where it is, it is then susceptible to change, susceptible to negotiation, which is all indicative of seduction. So, for him, he says that all we really have is seduction, which is kind of ironic because he's essentially just uh, presenting a meta-narrative of, of history, which would stand opposed to the the generally the the postmodern um, sort of uh, proclamation. So for Ahmed, with Baudrillard, the subject is determined by indeterminacy. That is, it is determined by this rather than class, anatomy, or gender. So in order to criticize him, she states that Baudrillard's postmodernism can be read as a normative and positive reading of the subject rather than as a rejection of its limits, a reading which refuses to recognize the determining influence of structures of power Sees the subject as governed only by the radical free play of its own indifference, which is a very valid point. Uh, you know what a Bodierian subject would look like would be a very apathetic one. In in many ways, it would be a a, a floating one that has would only be able to arrive at this point what if it has um, taken on a good deal of privilege or it has been bestowed upon by a great deal of privilege that allows it to do that now this is stands opposed to say Foucauldian um, Foucauldian subject as being that which is determined by certain conditions of the of the quote-unquote real world a Baudillardian subject would be something that he I guess reading his work it's really difficult to understand how he can ignore the effects of these sorts of institutions on creating people as subjects in that particular epi- episteme so it seems to be rather lazy to some extent but in my own in my own mind there are some important things here but we have to be very uh, cautious of baudrillard he uh he likes to say things that without without consequence and without necessarily thinking them out. Now, don't get me wrong; I'm a very big, very big fan. But we have to poke him here. We really have to call him out for his uh, his crap. And it is in Baudrillard's analysis that he suggests that the feminine is that which has privilege over the masculine, because the feminine is that which for is that which for him opposes binaries, opposes distinctions. Poses bifurcations, the facile uh, codification of the world, and it is the masculine that has a connection to the reality, to uh, anatomy, to class, to gender, to anything like this. Precisely because it makes the world easy to understand, easy to grasp. So it's from this that uh, Ahmed looks at um, Arthur Croker and and David Cook's, um, yeah, David David Cook's work uh, dealing with. Postmodernism, where they state that feminism is inherently postmodern because they call, as they say, it is the quantum physics of postmodernism. So, this is some sort of affinity with Baudrillard's suggestion precisely because there is the idea that feminism, where I, I will kind of clumsily conflate their analysis of feminism with an analysis of the feminine, as being the quantum physics of postmodernism, it doesn't itself hold something of a uh, subversive potential precisely on its location as a historically constructed entity that is the feminine so in response to this Ahmed states that they define feminism or although they define feminism as postmodern in in its notion of power as localized and its emphasis on difference Croker and cook also define their position against feminism suggesting that feminism assumes Sexual difference is a privileged zone of, of difference. Sexual difference is hence refigured as one difference amongst many in a power grid where all ontologies me, where all ontologies are merely the sites of local catastrophes. Then she continues by saying so here in their analysis, feminism may privilege gender by recognizing that gender itself is a privileged site of power differentiation of feminist, privileging of gender does not necessarily assume the privilege at the level of ontology, and, as I have already discussed in this book, much recent feminist work has focused on the mutually constitutive relation between gender and other differences which matter, such as race and class, which is not to deny that some feminists continue to privilege sexual difference over the forms of difference. So, and it is that it's very much in the same way that Baudrillard is stuck in a certain um, mindset, like, Croker and Cook are, Ahmed wants to you know, open up the doors for the differences that matter. Essentially just calling for intersectionality and in what way does this idea of the feminine evoke the sense of you know, white, middle class, um, straight-haired, thin, able-bodied person and exclude or preclude those um, gender, racial minorities that do not fit that model. So in opposition to Baudrillard and then Croker uh, and Cook's analyses, Ahmed suggests that her reading, um, that she contextualizes the process in which bodies become intelligible, understood as the mythic but material fixing of a signifier to signifiers along a vertical plane, and how that opens out the pragmatic constraints to subjects as constitutive of the social itself. So in how she's going to essentially get into that, well, she goes into it uh, now. So she begins in the first, in the first uh, paragraph in this section by stating that gender is hence simultaneously phantasmatic and material, an illusion of presence that marks the subject unattainable in any ideal or integral form, but which is normative and regulative in its constitution of subjects as already sexed. So although we would do well to consider the way in which textuality plays a role in, consti- in constituting subjects, There are certain material conditions, especially those grounded in power relations that perhaps aren't as material as I make them out to seem, that play a role in always making subjects out of people. So, the postmodern turn suggesting that we are seeing the death of the subject, in a sense, is not allotted to certain people. So, in order to illustrate this point, uh, Ahmed draws upon an experience that she had when she was 14, where she was walking um, and I'll just say it quickly, she was walking along the street, and, um, a police car pulls up, to which the, one of the two police officers asks her, hey, are you, are you Aboriginal? Now, I believe this would have been in Australia, but I should check that, yeah, I believe it would have been in Australia, so, uh, she said to this question, she says no, and then the other policeman interrupted gave gave her a wink and said, it's a suntan, isn't it? So in this moment, she says that uh, from two different things, well, in her words, it seems to me now that the policeman addressed me in the first instance as working class from dress and as aboriginal from color. This identification read me as a subject by rendering me a suspect or a danger to the law of property, a potential robber. Here, the absence of shoes becomes fetishized as an object which signifies not simply a lack of proper dress, but an improper status as somebody who does not belong to this middle class and respectable suburb. So it's in this way, and this really brings up uh, an interesting point in opposition to, at least in my understanding, Baudrillard's reading, we're thinking about the end of of a grounded subject, how that is reserved for a sort of normativity, how certain people are allowed to disappear in their in their surroundings, while other people are continually brought back into being, precisely by them being rendered suspect. In, in the beautiful way she uh, she illustrates that here, and it is on that note how she considers um, how certain people are forced into being subjects, and despite the possibilities for this sort of postmodern and postmodern ideal disappearance they always come back into being from this point she moves on to uh, her next her next chapter dealing specifically with um, authorship so as I mentioned in the first one when dealing with this idea of the death of the subject we are in a sense um, evoking or we have in the back of our minds uh, Roland Balth's claim that we are we have entered the era of the death of the author so when we read a text, are we supposed to try and locate some fundamental truth to that text, i.e., by looking at what the intentions were of the creator, or is it always about um, one's own perspective? So, what you come in with when you read a text is all, all the only tools you have, the only thing at your disposal are the words themselves. So, you look at it and you say, What meaning can I extract from this? From my own experience, and with the own with the tools that I own, or that I have, now all this is necessary for both to open up uh, the text for a, a plethora of possible different interpretations, so as to not limit the possibility of the text itself. Now, coming drawing from the her earlier arguments in this book, what she says right off the bat to sort of avoid some repetitiveness is that. The death of the author relies on a sort of masculine principle that is privileged or that is granted the possibility of a disembodiment that is denied to some, to many other people, notably died to, denied to anyone who doesn't fit under the category of the middle aged white man. So this is opposed to, well, not totally opposed, but Ahmed draws upon Foucault's text that is very much, does something of the, the same thing titled, Uh, What is an Author?, in which she states, or of which she states, that Foucault, although is in many ways calling for the same thing, sort of death of of an authorship, uh, she locates in in Foucault, or she recognizes that Foucault focuses on the specificity of the author's name as a proper name that performs a certain classificatory function, allowing the differentiation of texts. And marking off the edges of text in a way that partakes of a mode of being. So then she quotes him, stating that the author function is therefore characteristic of the mode of existence, circulation, and functioning of certain discourses within society. So in this way, uh, she sees something a possibility with Foucault that is absent in Balte, because it considers how um, the social conditions of the time or power relations more broadly, or more specifically. that's a train noise for anyone who's curious how those uh, relations are always already present and how we cannot simply just shut them out and assume that the text is that which transcends anything like that but ultimately uh, Foucault's project falls short precisely because it doesn't it's not self-reflective enough in considering even himself as being part and parcel of that uh, privileged class that privileged everything except sexuality but in what way then does even Foucault when considering this fall short at least for a a feminist reading to which Ahmed um, evokes the work of Naomi Shore who suggests that Foucault faces the sexual specificity of his own narrative and perspective as a male philosopher so the refusal to enter the discourse as an empirical subject, a subject which is both sex and European, may finally translate into a universalizing mode of discourse which negates the specificity of its own inscription as a text. So on one side of the coin, Ahmed sees the potential in getting rid of this thing called the the author, because of the implications of there being this like fundamental truth pertaining to any text which can extend beyond just, like, books or, or film or anything like that, where it uh dealing with any sort of cultural icon in, in a given social framework. So she's weary about that, but then is also weary about the total disembodiment implied by the death of the author, where we are just simply taken out of context, thrown into the void of a sort of postmodern ether. And the timing of this is not... Um, is not unimportant either, where these people many of these these postmodern thinkers were writing at a time that women were starting to gain uh, access to things that have been classically denied them, historically denied them, like the ability to write for the most part uh, to enter certain institutions to enter a role and play a role in politics at which time the postmodern thinkers came up and said, "Oh yeah, all that doesn't matter anyways. all this contributes in uh, the I guess a uh, subtle oppression of all people under the guise of like this thing called truth or contextualization which is is an important thing to consider because it doesn't seem to be all that coincidental then now thinking about this in terms of women entering the sphere of writing we're saying women's writing does in itself essentialize this idea of womanhood where it's not so simple as in putting onto this thing called writing in the wake of the death of the author, this idea of the woman author. Because then we must question what does this woman author necessarily look like again? Is it black woman? Is it Tina woman? Who is it that we are talking about here, let alone trans women? So, this negotiation of womanhood poses an issue not simply for um, the essentializing notion of the author but also the postmodern uh, disembodied subject because it is always a negotiation and it, always, it, it almost approaches a realization at any given time where there, the authorship is taken upon whoever is writing, but then it, it often fades because there is a questioning of who that author necessarily is and whose voices are being necessarily heard. So she poses this in the form of two, a few questions. She says whose life stories matter stories are authorized as such my attempt to defend the importance of the question who is writing here which is argued in section 1 necessitates that we shift from an analysis of the origins of writing to the context in which writing and reading take place is an attempt to bring our attention to how writing is always implicated in a discursive relation of address which is irreducible to sexual difference so again it's really emphasizing the how we're, we're working in between these two things where it's not totally sexual essentialism nor is it totally disembodiment but somewhere that t- takes from both in a sense now in this section um, Ahmed gives many textual references that I'm not familiar with like it really speaks to m- my reading choices um, so I have, been, I have been kind of skimming like I uh, skipped over some of that but all of her analysis is really cool and you don't actually need to be familiar with the text itself to, give, to be able to engage with her analysis so for those of you that haven't read it yet, like, don't be worried about that. Uh, it would certainly help if you've read these, but that's why I've been kind of, uh, I don't want to pretend like I know, when in fact I, I, I'm not really familiar with, with Angela Carter all that well, uh, like a little bit, or anything like that, because it's its not my, I haven't gotten there yet, so for that reason I, I've been kind of skipping over some stuff, so if anyone's read this and they're like, well, where did, where's all that? Uh, sorry, I had to just, for the sake of time as well, cause to give, um, to supply context or to supply synopses would, would just take so, so long. So it's for that reason I kind of jump, I really jump through this, this chapter here because I don't want to, uh, I don't want to lie to anyone. But she ends on a good, on a good, on a good note or, or a good point. Where she states that it is here that the author's death, proclaimed by postmodernism, is signaling its own arrival, becomes a question that is living. Where it's that, that I, in how I read this, it is about how that subject is always, despite the call for its death or you know, a sort of requiem, it is always brought back into being. It's always being negotiated, even it's the terms of its disappearance, where it can always realize itself once more. And especially how Ahmed's project here, how it gives a voice to those people marginalized, so those people often forgotten about. So moving to the last chapter here, um, it's, it focuses on two uh, texts specifically, or two um, kind of pro- projects broadly. One of them was by Cooper, which deals specifically with uh, violence against women, or at least that's what Ahmed takes out of it. And well beyond that, other, other texts as well. But dealing specifically with Robert Cooper, or sorry, Robert Coover and his The Babysitter, which for Ahmed is a story that involves the plot of uh, the multiple rape of a female character. Now I'm not, I've never read it, like I'm, I'm not uh, familiar with this, but um, Ahmed is very clear about the way in which that it depicts a violence against women in a certain way. So I want to kind of round this together, and this isn't, I I misspoke, this isn't the last chapter, this is the chapter before last. I want to kind of round this, uh, or kind of roll this over into uh, her big discussion in the following chapter, in how she talks about David Lynch, and David Lynch's uh, Blue Velvet, which is another film that deals, or which is a film that deals with um, violence against women. Now both of these texts Hat were for Ahmed, there were texts that were um, praised as being these kind of experimental, uh, postmodern um, examples of the way that cinema can manifest itself. So the plots of them, without getting into it too them too um, intensely, center very much around violence against women, whether or not it happens off camera and is just alluded to, or it very much happens. These films do rotate around these themes if you can call that a theme these these events so of these uh, two these two examples Ahmed really wonders to what extent there is something of a radical uh, transgression happening here against modernism against the confinements of um, textuality of cinema of, of literature and she wonders what remains consistent across these different spaces. So although it might open up a politics of transgression and subversion, in her, in her words, or something of a radical politics, it is always already grounded within a certain patriarchal uh, system that it can't ignore simply by presenting itself in a different way, taking on a different face, perhaps being more quote-unquote experimental, it is still within that sphere. So this kind of experimentation is against, as, and she re-evokes uh, Leotard here, against metafictions or meta-narratives, right? That are supposedly that supposedly give broad uh, historical accounts of of different things, and opens up the possibility of a plethora of perspectives. So for Ahmed, postmodernism is a way of reading, hence reduces politics to literary form at the same time as it places issues such as sexual difference on the side of content. So, more than these films or these, um, these texts being employed as or created in a sort of uh, resistance to modernism, broadly, um, the way in which we analyze them cannot be um, divorced from that same or this, the context in which we find ourselves. So, when... Sexual difference is kind of relegated to the margins, or just seen as being another plot device. We forget the extent to which it operates within a greater system of oppression. So then Ahmed moves to speak specifically about some of Robert Coover's texts, which I'm like, like many of the other texts in this book that uh, Ahmed evokes, I'm not familiar with enough to really feel comfortable engaging with them, uh, and for that reason, why I kind of want to move into um, her critique of Blue Velvet, or David Lynch's film, because I actually know about that, and I could actually speak to it. Uh, but here, like, this is really much, could be taken much better uh, reading it, so, I'd, excuse me for, for skipping a bunch again, but the literary references are just, you, it demands you do a dissertation to, to grasp a lot of the stuff that Ahmed is talking about here, just the reading list is is quite quite intense. But before I move, move on, you know, to summarize what her critique is essentially of these texts is that while they open up or while they present something like contradictory accounts of events that occur that could be read as, you know, opening up the domain, opening up the possibility of different perspectives, kind of the death of the author type, type uh, perspective, they all rotate around or involve a very singular real event. That, uh, or events all in the case, or that are all um, acts of violence against women, which for Ahmed is not a coincidence. This is absolutely what uh, the people would want to read about because of this um, internalized misogyny as being just one thing, but how that is often, as, as she had stated, set to the margins. It's not considered important, it's just another plot device amongst other ones. So it is from here she moves into the question of seeing. Now how does postmodernism manifest itself in, on the screen? Which would be like um, you know a theorist like Baudrillard takes this up rather intensely but for, for Ahmed she says that there is a psychoanalytic component to this where the spectator takes on the position of like a, a voyeur or takes on the position of a certain um, a, a viewing subject that then sees the screen and see themselves in the screen or input their desires and and wants onto onto the characters, onto the actions that they see occurring on the screen. So in the postmodern turn, even this comes to be troubled, precisely because the whole act of seeing implies a certain subjectivity, implies a certain subjecthood, and implies that there is something to be seen, whereas taking something like Baudrillard, for instance, who would suggest that the screen presents nothing, the screen is just uh, indifference. Ahmed here recognizes that that is very much part and parcel of the postmodern film, or the postmodern moment of film studies. So for her, to identify the site of postmodernism as transgression is hence not to be looking at all. It is through the event of not seeing that postmodernism becomes visible in an ontology of the break a break from realism or from that recognition of the real. Now this is problematized with uh, Laura Mulvey so her her article Visual Pleasure and Narrative Cinema when she well and this is what Ahmed draws upon with it uh, when Mulvey looked at the way in which there is a gaze and the gaze cannot disappear or the act of seeing and in fact that gaze is very much a patriarchal one so how do women dress how do they act in film and how and how they act and how they, they dress, or, or however how that is not a coincidence how they are doing it to meet a gaze that is always already present now the same occurs or the, the there is this existence of gaze or it can be observed when we may observe something like violence against women occurring on the screen So then Ahmed considers Blue Velvet. So she gives a little bit of a summary here. Uh, She says, The narrative of Blue Velvet centers on the discovery of a severed ear by the central male character, Jeffrey. This discovery takes him on a trail of intrigue involving his eyewitnessing of rape, sadomasochism, kidnapping, as well as drug abuse, and trafficking. At one level, the narrative repeats the tradition of the thriller in which a heroic male figure seeks to find the truth, and to convert a situation of disorder and violence into a scene of order and peace. And what we follow, the way in which Ahmed frames it here, we are gazing what Jeffrey, the protagonist, is gazing. So we see what he sees. So in many ways, we are both, as the spectator and Jeffrey, on this adventure, going through this world of this kind of underbelly of nice suburban life. So what Ahmed states of this is that what is enunciated in Blue Velvet, however, is not simply a confirmation of the fetishism that sustains the conflation of women and image. The image remains irreducible to women. Blue Velvet fascinates itself with her white body, the whiteness of the body against which blue and black marks appear as signs of violence, as the threat of violence to the frailty of her white skin. So that act of viewing, being not something neutral not something occurring by a non-subject onto a non-subject but being part of or being part of that patriarchal relation between viewer and viewed between spectator and spectated between male disembodied gazing male and codified determined essentially in the form of an image of a woman so this rendering the woman as image in this way calls us and this is where postmodern is or postmodern perspective actually has some a subtraction it calls it into uh, question the legitimacy of any sort of perspective about it so if women are reduced to the status of image then what is the status of this the violence that we see occurring against women well surely to remain consistent in this argument the postmodern thought would be that it was simply another image, where the violence against women is just taken up as another image. So what um, Ahmed says about this is that given this framing, the depiction of violence is ambiguous. There is an element of uncertainty as to whether the rape is real within the context of the filmic diegesis. And yet, at the same time, the act of witnessing the violence becomes reinscribed as an act of violence. So those things that are taken for granted or are assumed to be at the level of the image or the textual, uh, well, we have to question what things are reserved there, where the person gazing is almost subtly, that is Jeffrey, given or being gifted a subjectivity that stands above the things that he observes, these women, these violences against women, that simultaneously... Which is this is somewhat ironic. Disembody the women while embodying Jeffrey, where Jeffrey has a face. Jeffrey has a, a conscious. Jeff, Jeffrey has a something of a psyche that is denied to these other people in their being rendered image. So there's something of a reversal here, where the privileging was in how Ahmed kind of framed it in the postmodern moment, of, with the male, with the man being able to be disembodied. able to float everything everything else now we can locate something of an oppressive uh, an oppressive disembodiment which would be pretty much in tune with with feminist thought like disembodiment isn't great but it's it also reinscribes the viewer Jeffrey the male as subject or as embodied so it's interesting how how we can consider this here and it's on that note that I'll move into Uh, moving rather quickly here, moving to the conclusion. Because it makes it, at at times, kind of difficult to um, get get into this. Like, I, I understand it, absolutely. And Ahmed is really quite brilliant. But we have to also consider how disembodiment is not, in and of itself, bad nor good. How it can be employed, how certain people can be disembodied, how certain people can be embodied in a certain way, that make it so that they can't engage in some form or other with the uh, broader sociocultural context in which they find themselves, where men are able to float above that and say, oh, nothing matters, oh, I'm not attached to anything, I'm a rhizomatic uh, flow of becoming or whatever, and then how other people are forced to just because they have no choice. But then on the flip side, as we see in this this film, or in how Ahmed reads it, it is as though the privileging is being given that sort of embodiment, right? The ability to see, to consume others as image. So it's really fascinating, I think, how it works in that way. And it makes it more complex, which which is really what I enjoy about uh, Ahmed here. She doesn't make things easy for us, which is which is uh, nice. But yeah, on that note I'll move right into the conclusion, even though there's more there are more filmic references that I'm not so familiar with, uh, so really, the best thing to do would be to read it for yourselves. But on this, I'll move right into the uh, conclusion. So she asks us to remember, in a sense, in the conclusion. So it's not something she paints this conclusion in such a way as to not evoke the sense of an ending, but rather a remembering, where we have to consider those people, those voices, those opinions that that are excluded from. This broad sphere of postmodernism, despite its claim to open up the possibility for said perspectives, and this is my own in my own experience, this is surely the case of many um, academics. Like just look at their work cited pages. It's it's embarrassing. The um, kind of echo chamber of white maleness, white cis maleness, can be found in these spheres that that are. That supposedly applaud, that supposedly tr- strive to open up the domain for uh, more possibility, it's extremely conservative. Now I'm gonna get my head chewed off for this one, but I don't care. So yeah, and it's that that forcing us to remember, forcing us to call attention to those parts that we are we exclude. That I think it's it, just as she ends her book on that note. Uh, I think. You know, that'd be a good place to end, end it here. You know, I could fill it in with my own jargon, but it wouldn't be quite as eloquently put. Because Ahmed's a very good writer. Uh, very poetic, even in this very technical stuff that, that she does. But yeah, for anyone that listened this far, especially if you listened to all the talks, I hope I wasn't too repetitive. I tried to avoid being repetitive, but I caught myself at times. Like, it's difficult engaging with the text on my own, uh, without getting repetitive, because I have my own echo chamber, I just want to say the same things over and over again, what I'm comfortable with, trying to get out of that, but anyways, for anyone who made it this far, thanks a lot, and if you have any criticisms, you feel like I've excluded anything, any differences that matter, please, you know how to leave it, but for now...